Well, if you've got a Bible handy, if you would turn it to um, 2 Corinthians. That's where we're at this morning in chapter 5. 2 Corinthians is in the New Testament. Um, it is the third letter of Paul that is uh, given to us. I don't know if you, it, maybe you knew this, maybe you didn't. Um, the, uh, Paul's letters are given to us in, in the New Testament in the order of, in, in order of length, believe it or not. Um, I think there was some uber spiritual reason for them lining up the way they did. It's like, oh, Romans, his magnum opus, and no, it's just the longest, and that's why it's where it's at. Um, anyway, uh, listen, you've had a lot of me this morning. Um, which makes me feel weird. If you're noticing and sensing any awkwardness, that's probably where it's coming from. It all feels very awkward to me, even though I've done this a bazillion times and I was a church planner, so uh, handling multiple aspects of the service is normal or has been. But there's some awkwardness for me. Um, but this is the time that we're, we're coming together where hopefully you'll hear less of me and more of Jesus. If you're visiting with us this morning, it's really good that you're here. I don't find it to be coincidental. It's good that you're here because we're spending the next several weeks trying to reimagine what this thing is we call church. And so if you're here and you've kind of given up on church, but you ended up here for some reason, again, I don't, I don't think it's a coincidence. We're trying to reimagine what this is all about, not because UPC's been a bad church, not nah, it's a great church, but because it's good for us every once in a while just to kind of get our bearings Remind ourselves what this is all about and then imagine what it could be like. And this is the third of our weeks in talking about mission, right? which is a, a Christian buzzword these days, but really it just means what are, we, what are we here to do? What are we supposed to do? Right? The first week we looked at the fact that we're, we're called to what Jesus said is make disciples, which is a really churchy word for just make, you know, having people who are not Christians become Christians and then helping us all to walk in that day after day after day. And then last week we looked at what it means to seek the flourishing of others. And today we're, we're going to jump into kind of the method behind this. So if you have your place in 2 Corinthians 5, if you'd stand, it's our habit here. We'll be reading verses 16 to 21. It's important for us to remember before I do that that this is... This is not a mundane thing we're getting ready to do. We think of it that way. You know, most of us, many of us, maybe not most of us, many of us have Bibles at home or on our apps, and it's just kind of this mundane thing. We're just going to read the scriptures, but it's, it's God speaking to us. It's no casual thing at all. So let's hear it in that way. This is God's word. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, 
so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Would you pray with me? Oh, Jesus, we're desperate for you this morning, not least of which the one who's standing up here. We pray that you would preach to us, that you would open our hearts to your gospel, open our eyes to see you and our ears to hear from you. Let nothing else come in the way. Let everything but you fall away, including the one who speaks. For you, Jesus, are the fountain of living waters. You are the light of the world. You are the good shepherd. And you are the door. You are the way, the truth, and the life. So let it all be about you this morning, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Have a seat. I said a few minutes ago that mission is one of those buzzwords, and it is. And if you were here the last couple weeks, you know that, especially last week, we talked about the fact that this concept of being missional, which is all the rage as we talk about what it means to be the church, it all depends very much on what the mission is that you think you're called to do, right? So you can be very missional uh, and consider yourself very missional, but have two very divergent modes of doing that and, and, and outcomes and things that you're trying to do or ways that you think that is accomplished, right? So we looked, again, we looked a couple of weeks ago at the fact that a, a, a Christian church that is not ordering itself around the, the idea of taking the outsider, the person who doesn't know Jesus, and helping them become a Christian and, and helping them grow in that Christian faith and be a multiplying disciple of Jesus, that, that you're just simply being disobedient, right? It, it's not that there's like, well, there are certain churches like that and certain ones that aren't. No, there's, there's certain ones that are doing what Jesus called us to do, and then there's others who are just not, right? And then last week we looked at the fact that through uh, Jeremiah's letter, that it's that this concept of human flourishing, this concept of shalom, right, of all of our relationships lining up, that, that God's people who, are, who he's placed sovereignly in the places where they're at, that, that our goal and our, our, our mission is, is to seek the, the flourishing, the shalom, the welfare, as, as the ESV translates it, of our city, of our community. But how do we do that? Right? What's the method behind it? What's the methodology? To some degree, that's what Paul is talking about this morning. We're going to look in depth at how this is all supposed to happen. So as always, there's an outline if, you, if you're a note taker. Ooh, well, that's good that that was in this little cup thing. That's good. Uh, those of you who didn't notice at home, that's okay. Good. All right. So uh, there's an outline if you want to use that. We're going to look at the scope of reconciliation. We're going to look at the, the um, or sorry, we're going to look at the source, the scope, and then finally, the service of reconciliation. So let's let's get started first with the the source. So a lot of us are, many of us probably are familiar with this passage, but for those of us who aren't, let me let me kind of help us understand because we're jumping into the middle of it, right? The, this letter was written by an early Christian leader by the name of Paul, and if you liked if you like really intense people, you would have loved the Apostle Paul. Right? Paul was super intense. Before he became a Christian, he was incredibly intense about ending Christianity. 
Uh, and he, he stayed intense even after he met Jesus uh, and, and went from being a persecutor of the faith to a promoter of it. He became incredibly intense about seeing more Christians made and more churches developed and, and planted them all across the Mediterranean world. The dude was intense. And he planted the church that he's writing to here. And when I say plant, that's, a, that's, um, that's again, that's Christian speak for starting something from nothing. So he started this church from nothing in Corinth in this city that is um, in, in this wonderful place in Greece where it, it has the crossing of, of two major trade routes, metropolitan, it's, it's uh, educated, it's a college town, it's prosperous, it's one of the only places in the ancient world, in the Roman world, where you actually had financial mobility. You could go from being a nobody financially to a somebody, never heard of, but it was in Corinth. And as Paul moved on, other teachers came in who um, seemed to be better with the whole speaking thing than he was. They called themselves super apostles. I don't know if they call, I'm pretty sure if they called themselves that. That, that takes a lot of ego, but they, they called themselves super apostles. There was Paul, and he was an apostle. Yeah, yeah, that's well and good, but we're super apostles, and you can tell because we're so good at the speaking thing. And so Paul, in, in a couple of his letters, the first one and in this one to some degree, is having to defend himself a little bit. He's having to say, like, look, it's not what this is about. This, this is something totally different. And, and as he's defending himself, he talks about what it was that he was entrusted with and by proxy that we all were. And it's this thing that he calls the ministry of reconciliation. So let, let's kick into this to see what the source of all of this reconciling is. Look down again at verse 16. It says, we regard no one according to the flesh, therefore, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. Now, that's a little uh, confusing. What that means is um, he's not talking about Jesus as in the flesh. He's talking about his own knowing, right? My, my knowing, based on kind of outward appearances, uh, I no longer view Jesus that way. I did, but I no longer do. And, and that's because something has changed. And that something is verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. We put that on coffee mugs. We, we talk about that sometimes in Bible studies. If you're a Christian, you might talk about that in a Bible study. But we miss the impact of what it is that Paul is saying there. Is this the concept of new creation? That didn't start here. It's not like Paul mentioned that here and that's the first time he ever heard it. He's actually borrowing that. He's taking that from, from this Old Testament concept that would have been something that he would have been very familiar with as a Jewish teacher. This concept that that all of, all of the world, all of the universe is heading towards something. This, this concept of being newly created, that God created in the first place, and just because we messed it all up, which we'll get to in a second, doesn't mean he's given up on it, but in fact that he's, he's kind of, that, that all of the world is still heading in this direction, and it comes according to him because of being in Christ. So when he says new creation, we need to understand that that means God's ultimate goal. And, and in fact, that is exactly what he says. Like some of our translations, the older translations will say he's a new creature. He's, in, the, in the original, it literally says, if anyone is in Christ, new creation. It's that startling. It's that drastic. It's not a halfway measure. It's you've gone from this to this. That's the big idea. And now he gets to the result. That's the, the big result. Now he gets to the method. Okay, look down at verses 18 and 19. All this is from God 
who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Now, the first thing I want to talk about in these verses is the concept of reconciliation. There is nothing more revolutionary that Paul could have said than that God was reconciling the world to himself. And here's why. In all of, if you were to line up every one of our worldviews, religious options, ways of viewing the world, the idea of reconciliation is completely unique to Christianity. The only religion where you would have this kind of concept of reconciliation To say that something needs to be reconciled is to assume a relational aspect to it, right? You don't, I guess you you do reconcile bank statements, don't you? But it's not the same kind of reconciliation, right? The kind of reconciliation he's talking about is the, the healing of a fractured relationship. It's not transactional. And that implies a relationship whether you acknowledge it or not. In other words, it assumes if if. God is reconciling the world to himself. It assumes that the world is unreconciled with him to begin with. That all of us are unreconciled to him to begin with. Whether you acknowledge that or not, it assumes a broken relationship. The second thing is that in this, this this is so amazing, God is the subject of the reconciliation. Okay, what does that mean? In every other, if, if you were to say, hey, there's this deity, and this deity, we're, we're not in right standing with this deity, then the, next, the very next logical step is, okay, what do I need to do to make things right with this deity, right? I mean, that's kind of the, the logic that religion runs on. The logic of it all is, I messed something up, I need to make it right. But that's not what this says. That would make us the subjects of reconciliation. We reconcile. But in this, and only in this, God is the subject of the reconciliation. He is the one who does the reconciling. In other words, the offended one is the one seeking reconciliation with those that have offended him. What is that? I mean, listen, you're in relationships with people. I'm in relationships with people. Is that what we do? Is that the way we normally view things? Like someone has broken things off with me and what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to them? Now, granted, I mean, some of us, you've been walking with Jesus long enough, you're like, well, I mean, I'm supposed to. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm like, is that your knee jerk? Is that your, your default? My default is when I've been wronged, I go to them and I say, hey, this hurt me and I would really like to be reconciled to you because I love you. And no, we're like, jerk? Like, you, you, you get over here. Like, you need to grovel a little bit. We need to, we're going to make this right that it's going to be because you're going to show that you actually understand how bad this was, right? We make them be the subject. Now, we'll get to how it is that God did this reconciling here in a second, but the important thing at this point is to realize that being reconciled with God is not our idea. It's his It's not our initiative. It's his. And that brings us to first steps. 
Listen, there are at least, and I'm sure there are more, but I'm Presbyterian and I think in threes. There are, only, there are at least three different ways for how we interact with whatever God or religion may have for us. The first is what I mentioned before. We messed it up so that we better fix it. Okay, that's kind of our knee jerk. That is the, the, the way of most religious outlooks. It's certainly the way that we understand um, the various kind of uh, popularized gods that we worship, right? Whether that's our, our Coke machine God or, or you, you've, you've heard me talk about those. The idea is that we, we have an offended one that we've, we've messed with. We, we messed with God and if, if things are gonna be right, then maybe, maybe at best, he, he kind of helps us see that we messed things up, but now it's up to us, and we got to make it right. The second is the idea that we messed it up, and God made a way for us to be better with him. But now we have to move towards that thing to get what he provided. This is kind of like the spiritualized version of a class action lawsuit you know what I mean? Like where someone has gone out there and, and sued somebody and gotten this pool of money, but you have to apply to get it. And, and you got to go in and make sure that, you know, you, you've, you've dotted your I's and crossed your T's such that you get the benefits of that thing. Like God made this big pool of redemption. We have to apply to it to get to it. And this, this, may, this can sound like the gospel, but at the end of the day, it's still on, all on your shoulders, isn't it? Yeah, God made this way. He, he kind of laid out this pool. He, he you know, sued for your redemption, and there it is. But now you have to go and find a way to go get it. Make sure you can get it. God isn't really the reconciler. He's the one who made it possible, but that's about it. The third option is the one that we're given here, that God reconciles us to himself. The, uh, the first Christian book I ever read was a book by, the, by um, an author by the name of Jim Packer, uh, Knowing God. First Christian book I ever read after I became a Christian. And one of the things that he says, not in that book and in something else he read, it, is that the gospel can be summed up in three words. God saves sinners. Not God makes salvation possible for sinners or God shows a little bit of inclination towards them. God saves sinners. In other words, repentance, what, what that churchy word that means turning away from our sins and back towards God, repentance is the reaction to what God has done, not the, the precondition of it. Do you understand what I'm saying? That it's something we do because we've seen the reconciling work of God. We repent and react to it, not that we repent so that God will reconcile us. God always acts first. If you are here and you are a Christian, it isn't because you are smarter or better or more spiritual than your neighbor. It is because God graciously worked to bring you to himself. It's not because you are smart enough to take him up on his offer. If you're not a Christian and you're here and you're toying with believing this stuff or even find yourself maybe believing it for the first time, can I tell you that is because God is reconciling you to himself. A glorious thing. He is the source of this reconciliation. Now let's, let's look down at the scope of it with the breadth and depth. Let's read verse 16 again. From now on, we therefore regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. Right? You remember me saying that? This is this weird statement 
The, 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 important, the important words in that for us in this section is the idea of no longer. In other words, it implies a change of status. That something was the case, but it is not that any longer. And this kind of, kind of is the place where we need to get back to what the story of the Bible is. Because in the story of the Bible, we were created for a dependent relationship on God. Like way back in the beginning, that's what we were made for. To be in perfect union with him, where all of our relationships lined up with him, with each other, with ourselves, with creation. Everything lined up the way it was supposed to. We were made for dependence on him. That means looking to him for our life, our breath, our view of reality, what right is, what wrong is, what love is, what it is not. Like all of these things, who we were meant to be is completely dependent on him. But in time, we came to believe a lie. And that lie was basically this. You can't depend on that guy. He's not out for you. He's holding you back. He didn't really say this. He said that because he thinks, he knows that if you do this, you're going to be like him and he doesn't want you to be like him. In other words, it's a power play. He's trying to hold you back. He's keeping you from what is best for you. You know that lie, right? Lord, we hear that lie every day. I know I'm not, uh, you know, God said I, I'm not supposed to go do that. No, he did. come on. He knows that if you do this, all that anxiety you feel is going to go down. That's why he's telling you. He wants to keep you kind of spun up. Well, he knows that if, if you do this, you're going to actually be able to provide for your family without looking to him. That's, that's the whole point. Like, he's trying to keep you held back. And so when we believe that lie, as we still do day after day after day, minute after minute, in fact, we turn from him. We broke relationship with him. What the Bible calls sin, it's really a betrayal. It's a relational betrayal of another person. And when we did, everything broke. And by broke, what I mean is like we, we became guilty because all betrayals bring guilt. You know this, I know this. We also became kind of changed. Like, In other words, like before we had to become convinced of that lie, now you and I, we just, it's like breathing, right? No one's got to convince me of these things. It's, you got to convince me the other way. You got to convince me that God's not out to get me most of the time, right? And we became alienated. We became cut off from him. And so when Paul says no longer, what he means is that something has happened that has changed that. And that is the scope of this reconciliation. Look down at verse 19, because this is so amazing. He says, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. God was in Christ. What does that mean? Well, if you're new to this whole thing, we believe that um, God exists as one God in three persons, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One what, three who's. It's the Christian concept of God. It's, we think it's taught all over the Bible. It's hinted at in the Old Testament. It comes into full color in the New. It's beautiful. And that Jesus was, in fact, God the Son incarnate. And I can stand up here for hours and try and flesh that all out. I'll let you go onto RTS's website, and you can, you can look up the classes from there uh, and if you really want to get into it. But, but that truth both of God as three persons and Jesus as not just kind of this really good dude and not just as this like this this kind of um proxy but as God himself is super important for what 
for what we're about to talk about. Because God is the one who deals with the betrayal, right? He's the reconciler. And so it's not that God the Father looked down and saw, well, here's this really good guy. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to punish him for the rest of you. He hasn't done anything wrong, but I'm going to, and we go, ah, cosmic child abuse. No, no, no. God receiving God's wrath, like God holding the weight of the betrayal of God. That's what forgiveness is. And that's why he talks about it, not counting their sins against them, right there in verse 19. God was in Christ. This is so important, and normally it is misunderstood when it comes to what happened on the cross. Because when it, you, you go to a college Bible class, or you're, you're just reading, you're, it, it seems so hard, and sometimes it, it can seem so just wrong until we realize that it's not God acting on another. It's God in himself dealing. He's bearing the weight of your betrayal of him. That's what forgiveness is, right? I've said this before. Forgiveness is the betrayed person bearing the weight of that betrayal for the betrayer. When the betrayer bears the weight of the betrayal, we call it justice. When the betrayed person bears it, we call it forgiveness. And that's what God was doing in Jesus. Reconciling the world. Okay, but what does that mean? What does it mean that he reconciled the world to himself? Well, there's two different ways you can put this. You can, you can take this. The first is to think of the world, uh, how would I put this? Distributively, okay? Here's what that means. Every individual distributively. That the world has to do with each and every individual. And what that would mean is that God basically took care of everything and now everyone's in. Of course, the rest of the Bible doesn't say that. That would be very strange. So maybe it means something else. Well, the other way to talk about this when it comes to the world, and it's the way that most of the time in the New Testament it does talk about it, means every kind of person. Why would he say that? Why would that matter? Because in the ancient world, your deity was parochial. He dealt with you and your tribe or your people. Maybe, if you're big enough, your empire. But even then, in the Roman Empire... The deities changed depending on where you were. And your God would change depending on where you were. And so the Corinthians had their localized deities. And yes, it's a metropolitan area, so there's more temples. But there was one for them, just like Athens had theirs and Rome had theirs. And everybody kind of had their own deity, and he was in charge of them. And so if you offended that deity, then he's going to take care of his people. But Paul is saying, no, no, no. The God, God was in Christ, not just reconciling Jewish people to him, not just reconciling this city to them, but the world, all kinds of people, every kind of person. God came for people of every tribe, tongue, and nation. And here's how, look down at verse 21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So if that last little bit there in verse 19 was dealing with the breadth, this deals with the depth, the depth of this reconciliation. In the biblical understanding of how this works, we can often become confused into thinking that 
The issue is we've done some bad things and we need to get those bad things dealt with. But the Bible seems to say that it's something more than that. That the issue isn't necessarily just what we do, it's who we are. That there's, there's more that has to be changed. And the glory of the gospel and the depth of the reconciliation is met right here. That there's some, in, this, in, in that one verse, there's a, there's a, a transfer that's going on. There's an exchange that's going on. And it's not just one way. It's a two-way exchange. He made him who knew no sin, that would be Jesus, to become sin. Okay, well, that's my thing. So that we might become God's righteousness in him. Well, that, he didn't know any sin, so that's his thing. And now, you see how that works? That there's an exchange going on. The theological term for this, and if, if you're not into those things, and just don't have to remember the term, just the concept. But the term is double imputation, that there's a, there's a, there's a, Jesus is imputed with our sin, all of it, not a bit of it, all of it, but we aren't just given a, a, a clean slate, we're given the righteousness of Jesus, okay? There's more here than just getting your sins forgiven, And so when we look at that breadth and depth of Jesus' work, it leads us to one conclusion, that any and all who come to Jesus will be reconciled to God. That shouldn't surprise us. Jesus said as much. He said, any, uh, all that the Father draws will come to me. And then he says, and I will raise them up on the last day. It's not like I might, if I'm feeling like it. I might if, you know, they, they don't mess things up. I will. I will raise them up on the last day. And this messes with us in several ways, right? The first is that we tend to believe that there are certain people who are too far for God. Or maybe even too far from God. And that's the normal reaction of the religious, right? In other words, there's, there's some sins. Listen, let's, let's be honest. Some of us are here. There's some sins, right, you just can't come back from. There's some. Are you there? Look, I'm not talking about an objective standard. I'm talking about what you think. I know, I, most of you, I know, you know the right answer. I'm not talking about do you know the right answer. I'm talking about what, what gets at you back here. What's chewing at you back here all the time. Like, do you think with, that God is fine with these things over here? And these things, yeah, he's fine with those. But, but these things that I do, whew, I don't know about that. Or maybe just as likely, God's okay with the things that I do, but that guy? <laughs> Too far. You see it? Jesus, it, Paul says that Jesus became sin. Not, not a certain category of sins, and not others. He became sin. He became sin so that you might become the righteousness of God. The second thing this pushes on is this, this idea that you can be forgiven the initial things, but the rest is on you. <laughs> right? That's the clean slate idea. And listen, if you are a Christian here this morning, I know not everyone is, but if you're a Christian here this morning, you've placed your faith in Jesus, you have been united to Jesus. That's It talks about all the time in the Old Testament, being in Christ, union, united with Christ, like all these things, being united with him, it means a bunch of different things. But the, the, the core of it is what is true of him is now true of you. His death for sin is your death for sin. Gone. 
his righteous, perfect life, your righteous and perfect life. It's not that God gives you a clean slate. He gives you a full slate. That, he doesn't give you a, an expunged record. He gives you a very full record. It's just not full of you. It's full of Jesus. And because it's full of Jesus, there's nothing that you can do to get rid of it. To become the righteousness of God means that everything you have done is taken from you. And everything you will do, you have been reconciled to God. And what does this mean? This means, friends, you cannot out the cross of Jesus. Some of us in this room struggle with that every day. Lord, I've been, I'm there most of the time. Maybe not this time, Right? Maybe I, there's, I, I could go a step too many, one too far, and then it's, it's too much for his cross. No, no, no. You cannot out the cross of Jesus. But the others of us need to hear this. You also cannot outperform his perfection. You can't add to it. It's like, it's like I got Jesus' record and, and now I tithe. Congratulations? That doesn't give you brownie points before God. You have the righteousness of Jesus. You can't get any more of it, and you can't get any less of it. It's there, it's yours, and your status before him is secured because of it. That is the glory of the gospel. If you've trusted in Jesus, then then you are on level ground with everyone else who has. All right, that's the source and the scope, but what do we do now? How is this supposed to be about the mission of the church? Well, look down at verse 18. We're going to dig into that one again. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave to us the ministry of reconciliation. Listen, this is how Paul understands his work. That his goal, and by proxy ours, is to seek to bring about reconciliation in the broken relationships of people. Okay, why does, why does that matter? See, unfortunately, our culture has been indelibly shaped. Well, not unfortunately. There's great benefit to it, so I don't want to make it sound like it's all bad. But we have been indelibly shaped by, um, by more Greek thought than anything else. What is that? Why does that matter? Well, um, if you're a philosophy person, check in real quick. The rest of you can just take a break. I'll tell you when to come back in. All right? In the Greek worldview, everything is about breaking things down into their individual parts, right? We call that atomistic. It's the way that they, they, that they tended to want to view all things, kind of break things down into its individual components to get as far as it could, and that individual component began, became then what is most true. It was, it was true of uh, the, uh, what were like mathematicians, right? Like even Pythagoras was most interested in what undergirded all of reality and then led to numbers and blah, blah, blah. I don't like numbers. So, but that was what he was all about, and that was the most real thing. But see that, and there's, there's good benefits to that, right? But the Jewish worldview, the worldview of the ancient Near East, is about everything's interconnectivity. That's why everything's relational. That's why everything kind of is not just about you as your individual little monad over here doing your thing, but how you impact another person. That's why Jesus said that the call of God is to love him and love your neighbor. Right? Really hard to grow as a Christian without being around people and growing in that love of neighbor. Because it's about these 
relationships, the interconnectedness of them all. And, and that it stems from the fact that the understanding that when God made everything, he made everything to be in those relationships. The primary one being ours with God's vertical, the rest of them kind of expanding out from there under that umbrella. So that is how Paul understands his work. Those, those relationships have all been broken out of joint because of our our betrayal of God, our sin, and so now the point is to try and see them mended. The ministry of reconciliation is to try and bring them all back into line. So he says, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation, but not just that. Look down at verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Now, uh, an ambassador, that's, that's not a new concept. Most of us understand that. That's you know, they're not the head of the government, but they're speaking for the head of the government, right? They're, they're kind of speaking for the power structure. And in, in Paul's day, that would have been speaking for the king or the emperor. That we are speaking on behalf of another, but we are speaking with their authority. And he says, this is what we're doing. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This is, this is insane, Okay. Listen, grammar, oh, sorry, uh, non-philosophy people, you can check back in, okay? For, forgot about that. But now, uh, for, for, for grammar nerds, um, in the original, that word is a passive command. Did you think about that for a minute? Be running. Be run over there. Like, it doesn't make sense. Be reconciled is a passive command. In other words, it's, it's a command, like, the command is there, but you're not the one who does it. It's weird. It only makes sense in this kind of, like, gospel-infused environment, right? The, the idea is, like, we're, we're telling you God has worked for the reconciliation. Now, just be reconciled, will you? Like, that's what it's coming across as. And the crazy thing is that Paul is giving this command in, in verse 20. He's not, do you notice, like, He's not saying that to just random people in the world. He's saying this to the church. Well, that's weird, isn't it? Rick, didn't you just say, like, didn't Paul just say that God reconciled us to himself? And yeah, but if that's the case, then that means that, there's, that Christians have a way of living that's not connected to that. That means that there's a way in which we need to continue to grow in that reconciliation. Those relationships aren't fully and finally all lined up in our lives the way they may need to be. Okay. Now, let's, let's speak in a little more applied manner. What does it mean to minister reconciliation? Well, this is something that we are called to, and as I've argued, it's the method behind the mission from the last two weeks. This is pretty important. Let's go back two weeks. When it comes to making disciples, when it comes to seeing those who, who don't know Jesus to come to know him and to, to grow in that. The ministry of reconciliation is key because you and I need to understand that our problem is relational, not behavioral. Our problem is relational, not behavioral. Okay? And that means that the solution will need to be relational and not just behavioral. Listen. When the world goes weird for you, when it goes all pear-shaped, everything kind of changes. Things go, run off the rails. 
When you find yourself running to alcohol or food or some substance to deal with it, you realize that, yes, there is a behavioral issue, right? Of course. But it's what you're not running to that's the important thing. Because if you just stop running after those things, it doesn't solve the problem. The problem isn't just that we run after, like, I've, my life's going crazy. I just need, I just need some wine. And that'll help it. It'll calm it all down. The problem's not just that. The problem's that we're made to find what we're looking for in that bottle in Jesus. That he is the one who is supposed to be bringing us back into alignment that's to make the world right for us. Not that thing. And so you give up on that. That's awesome. And yet still, you're not leaning into the relationship. It's not just what you're doing. It's why you're doing it. You see, it's not just what I'm doing. It's why I'm doing it. And so ministering reconciliation will mean helping others and even helping ourselves push deeper than just the behaviors to the why. Why do I do that? Why is it that I run to those things? Why is it that I can't find myself, I keep finding myself raging at people when they don't do what I want? What do I want? What am I wanting that I can only get from Jesus? And then let the gospel impact that. When it comes to human flourishing, when it comes to seeking the welfare of our city, the answers, frankly, the, the ministry of reconciliation matters because <sighs> I'm probably going to get some emails on this one. The answers of the, of the political right and the political left are insufficient. The kingdom of God will not come because your guy's in office. The kingdom of God will not come because we either legislate enough or give people enough personal autonomy. Needs, we need to be helping people be reconciled with God. Yes. With one another. Yes. With creation. Yes. Like, you think systemic poverty is just answered by throwing money at it? No, of course not. There's a relational, there's relationships broken. Do you think, like, we just need to give some people some anger management classes and marriages will get better? No, there's a relational problem there. It needs a relational solution. So let me, let me give you a couple places. These are easy. I'm not going to throw us into the deep end. Let me give you a couple places where you can be a minister of reconciliation as we move forward in this next era of reimagining EPC. The first place you can be a minister of reconciliation, quite frankly, is here on Sunday mornings. And, and listen, I'm not, this is not a call to volunteerism. I'm just talking about a different way of coming to church, different way of being as you're sitting here and, and being present. Uh, in, in, uh, in the book of Acts, and there, the early church is dealing with this like really, really hard issue on how to, how to bring two parties together. How do, we, how do we deal with this Jewish group of Christians and this Gentile, this non-Jewish group of Christians, and how do we help them see that they're all on the same team now? And, and, and in Acts 15, the, the elders and the apostles, they all gather together, and they have this big meeting, and they're arguing about it, and blah, 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 and they come up with a solution, and then they write a letter. And one of the things in that letter, in Acts 15, 19, it says that the goal 
And this is, this is uh, I think, the translation of the NIV, but I love it. It says that you don't want to make it hard for people to turn from idols to the living God. Love that. You are ministers of reconciliation. What would it look like to do what you can every morning to come into this place and make sure that for those around you, it's easy for them to turn from idols, as easy as you can, to turn from idols to the living God? Can I, can I give you a, a hint of what that might look like? You know how hard it is to even hear the message of reconciliation when what you're dealing with is extreme loneliness? of feeling like an outsider even when you're an insider, of, of worrying about something as simple as like, is anyone even going to notice I'm here today? So what would it look like to come in and, and instead of always wondering like, well, what's Rick going to talk about and how long? And, um, oh, we are getting long. Uh, and and how is that all going to play out? But instead to be thinking about who can I help today turn from idols to the living God you know if if the gospel is meant to be uh, to to offend us in some way shape or form not to be offensive in the in the kind of American way of thinking about it but like to to challenge us and to to challenge both our fear and our pride what what would it look like to make sure that we can take away every other possible offense from folks so that the right thing is offending and not all the other things so one place is here. The second place is your own home. <laughs> you know what the first steps of being a, a minister of reconciliation will be in your neighborhood, your workplace, in your schools? What, what if you just opened your home? What if you just invited somebody over for a meal or coffee, or sit around your table? Do you realize how rare it is for someone to be invited to a meal? I mean, like, in the home. We all go out. Like, hey, you want to go out sometime? I mean, like, you want to come over? And listen, I know some of you right now are thinking, Rick, I can't do that. I'm not Martha Stewart. I'm not an entertainer. I didn't ask you to entertain. I didn't say entertain. I said be hospitable. Right? Listen, there's no pressure in this. I'm not saying get them on your table, hold them hostage, and grill them with the gospel. That is not what I'm saying. I'm not saying, like, trap them in your home, lock the door. Now you're going to listen to me about Jesus. It's not what I'm saying. I'm saying just have them in your home. Have someone who doesn't believe what you believe at your table. Show them the warmth of hospitality. You realize that even, even, uh, even Paul tells us to welcome one another as Christ Jesus welcomed us. Like, he welcomes us. And that's an aspect of the gospel. So you're thinking, oh my gosh, what are they going to think of me? I don't know. But I can tell you the gospel frees you. You have the smile of God secured for you in Jesus. I don't know what your neighbors will think of that. I mean, I can tell you my experience. My experience is they're kind of like, wow, no one's ever invited me over before. Okay. You know, like, and then that can lead to other conversations and maybe other times. But you have... The freedom, the, the smile of God is yours because of Jesus and that security frees you to risk a lot with others because there's nothing that that risk can do to lose the smile of God for you. We live in a relational universe, friends. 
created by a relational God. And the amazing thing is that as broken as you and I are, and some of us are feeling that desperately this morning, I know I am, as broken as we are, God has reconciled us to himself, and he now calls us to live out that reconciliation and to give others a taste of it as well. Would you pray with me? Lord, have mercy on us. You've called us to this, and yet, <laughs> I know most of the time I'm more concerned with how I'm being thought of than, than how, um, how I can help others be thought of. But Lord, we thank you for that reconciliation that's ours in Jesus. And we thank you that because that reconciliation is ours in Jesus, that we can help others to be reconciled to you. Thank you, Jesus, that you were the one who initiated, that our triune God is the one who seeks our redemption. And thank you that you saved us, not based on deeds done in righteousness, but just according to your free grace. Help us live into that, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.